if we take responsibility more for just the bottom line, but we take responsibility uh, as leaders um, and understand that as Christian leaders, um, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the more I learn his voice, the more I can treat with dignity the people who are around me. Welcome to the Connect Up podcast, where we discuss faith, leadership, and culture and how they intersect in our daily lives. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Connect Up Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, we are so excited for a special guest that we have with us here, uh, George DeYoung, uh, who is a pastor, teacher, author, historian that has been with uh, Holland Heights Church for several years, well before I was born, <laughs> but uh, has now been leading trips for the last 12 years to Egypt, to Jordan, to Israel to help people understand the lands of the Bible and apply them to our lives. So originally hailing from Brockville, Ontario. That's eh? right. Yeah. So George, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Taylor. Good to be here. Real good to be here. So George, you've been uh, our pastor, as Taylor mentioned, for what, 28 years 28 or something years. like that? Yeah. So you actually baptized our kids, which mm-hmm. is very cool. And we've had uh, the the opportunity and privilege to work with you on a lot of different things, yes. including going on some of the trips with you mm-hmm. and things. But so why don't you walk us through, and I know the story, but a lot of people don't. How did you get to start doing trips? And you started off as the pastor and then moved yeah. into different things. So how did that all start? Well, thanks for asking that because... Um, I had been serving at Holland Heights for about seven or so years, and um, and God was blessing. And the church wanted to give us a kind of a thank you gift, and they gave us um, Beth and I, my wife and I, a trip with Ray Vanderlaan, and um, that was 1997, I believe, that we went with Ray. And that trip kind of just that's a pivot point in my life. Um, for me, I'm a picture person. And when I went to the lands of the Bible, all of a sudden I saw things, um, you know, uh, in, on that trip, Ray was asking questions, you know, why, why, why here? Why this? Why now? And all that kind of thing. So it was to me, then once you understand the Bible and it's in its, uh, uh, geographic as well as cultural and literary context, things come alive. It's not that you learn different truths. It's just that the truths you know have become deeper. Um, and that was such a pivot point. And after that trip, Ray and I developed a friendship and he was my mentor for a number of years. And since that first trip, I've been in the Middle East at least two or three times in the last few years, many more times than that mm. per year, um, help uh, facilitating trips for Ray. And Ray encouraged me to lead a trip. And I spent uh, a summer at uh, Jerusalem University College. And after which, that's the first trip you and I yep. walked on in 2006. 2006. Um, and, and to see the, and that trip was an Israel in depth trip. Uh, in fact, I leave a week from yesterday for next, my next mm-hmm. Israel in depth trip. Um, but while I was studying at Jerusalem University College, I fell in love with Jordan and, and understood that that was part of the land. That's part of our story as well. Um, and then Egypt came after that. And so the last number of years, Egypt, Jordan, Israel. And what moves me about that, and, and, and when we, when we began doing trips, um, our leadership at Holland Heights Church encouraged us to establish our own independent ministry under the fig tree. And so we're, we were incorporated in 501c3 as a ministry. Um, and, uh, we called it under the fig tree because under the fig tree is an idiom. Uh, used in the in the ancient period to sit under a rabbi's t- teaching. Uh, fig trees in the biblical period were one of the largest trees. The leaves were the largest of leaves, and so shade is highly cherished mm-hmm. in in the Middle East. 
And then uh, tree-ripened figs, like growing up in Ontario, Canada, I always thought figs were like fig newtons. But, uh, <laughs> uh, that's the original fig. That's the original <laughs> fig. Yeah, I so, yeah. um, but uh, but I, I learned that uh, what raisins are to grapes is what fig newtons are <laughs> to tree-ripened figs. And so to the idiom is to sit uh, under the fig tree, is to sit in the shade of the rabbi and join his sweet fruit, his teachings. And so that's why we called it that. And, and, and so when a person comes on a trip with me, um, in as much as they want to engage with us, but we all, we call trip participants, um, uh, alumni. And, and so they have access to me and they have access to some information on the website and, and uh, they have kind of a favored status because of the relationship that we've begun to develop based upon that person. So, and contrary to popular belief, we don't take fig newtons on the trip. We do not <laughs> take fig newtons I, on the I trip. No, that. we <laughs> might try some figs or dates. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Way, but exactly. Awesome. Well, you had mentioned you're just leaving soon for yes. an Israel in depth trip. You know, we went on a Egypt, Jordan, and Israel trip yeah. that we've been talking about. Uh, you had mentioned on our trip that there's a couple other different yeah. uh, types of trips that you lead as well. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about, sure. about those trips? And- Real briefly, um, like the one I'm, I'll be leading is, is, is what I began with. And, mm-hmm. and I haven't done an Israel in-depth trip for a number of years. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, on this trip, our focus is on Israel itself. And so when we land, uh, we'll be uh, landing in the evening. Um, next morning, we'll be flying down to the southernmost part of Israel, Elat, and our driver and guide will meet us there. And we'll begin our journey from the southernmost point up to the northernmost point. We'll, um, we'll go by places like uh, uh, Masada, Qumran, and Gedi. Um, we'll be going up to the Galilee, up to Tel Dan. We'll be moving, moving over and visiting a, a, an amazing crusader fort called Mont Fort oh, in the yeah. north. We went there the first trip. Yeah, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we'll be coming down and we'll be going to Caesarea, Megiddo, um, uh, Mount Carmel. And then we'll be ending up in Jerusalem. And, and, and that, that, that will all be taking place within about 10 days. So people will get a real sense of the scope of the land. The Egypt, Jordan, Israel trip was, has been the trip I've been doing for the last number of years, several times a year, really follows the path of the traditional Exodus. And so we, we think about Egypt. Why Egypt? Why does God bring his people to Egypt? And, and, um, well, what is Egypt? And that's what we, we, mm-hmm. we shared together. And, um, and then we, from there, we, we make our way to the Sinai. And um, uh, not the trip that, uh, Taylor, you were on mm-hmm. this one, but I think a previous one. We, we climb Sinai and we sleep overnight on top of Sinai. We have a relationship after all these years with the Bedouin there. Uh, we get to do something that very few people ever get to do. And I remember you staying were, on top of Mount Sinai, and I think you said it was the best, worst night's sleep yep, you'll ever have. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. It's cool, a cool, cool thing. It is. It is. And it, it's, I, I, there aren't many people who don't wake up the next morning thinking about Abraham and the stars in the sky because mm-hmm. there's the ambient light. There isn't any. And it's just a magnificent. We come down Sinai. Um, uh, we visit, uh, uh, a, a park in the south and, um, Timna, and then we move to Jordan and we go up along Jordan, we go through Petra, uh, Mount Nebo, we go down to the plains of Moab, uh, and then we make our way to Jerash, a decapolis city, and then into the Galilee and then down to Jerusalem. And, uh, we do some studies there. That's that particular trip. Um, uh, another trip that we're working on right now. Which is really uh, interesting to me. It's an honor. It's called, we call it the Heart of God mm-hmm. trip. Uh, it's a trip that's designed specifically for people with cognitive issues, <clears throat> medium to high function, moderate to high functioning individuals, um, individuals with downs or closed head injuries or, or that kind of uh, thing. And the trip is designed for them. And 
the trips that you guys run with me, those trips we do because God uses those trips to change lives. The Heart mm-hmm. of God trip is amazing because God uses that trip to change, change Egypt. Jo- yeah, that, they don't have a grid mm-hmm. for it. Um, and and uh, <laughs> the Israeli government has, uh, from the Ministry of Tourism, has sent a representative the last several trips just to recognize mm-hmm. and come with diplomas for our mm-hmm. people. Um, they, they, To their memory, they have never seen anything like mm-hmm. that, a, a group that comes over there specifically for that. And then, um, and I think that's part of the reason why we're mm-hmm. kind of talking here, is the ancient paths to modern leadership trip, um, and which other which we began calling as shepherd leadership, and and we backed away and from that title shepherd leadership because um, when we say shepherd leadership, I think so many people think oh pastors, mm-hmm. and it definitely for pastors, no question about it. Um, but shepherd leader, uh, ancient paths of modern leadership, I, I believe, applies to all levels of of leadership in whatever the context. I think it's it's God's God's answer to leadership. It's God's paradigm for leadership. Um, <clears throat> so, and 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 the and the trip is based upon basically, um, you know, when, it, when we're thinking about this trip, based upon the the idea of leadership. If leadership is the question. Or pardon me, if leadership is the answer, what's the question being asked? And biblically, the question being asked is who's going to be responsible? The mm-hmm. first two Bible, the first two Bible stories are stories about responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when they were embarrassed and they were ashamed and they were hiding from a God you cannot hide from, uh, God comes to them and and the man says it was the woman and the woman says it was the man, mm-hmm. and they fail to take personal responsibility. And 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 leadership is taking responsibility. I had a professor in seminary who said that responsibility, when God created the the, the, the dis, one of the distinguishing things about man from all the other creatures, is that God created man with the ability to respond. Um, we not only adapt to our environment, we adapt our environment to us. Mm-hmm. Animals only adapt to their environment. So that, that there's, so we can change and we can create like God does. And, um, it, like in a similar way uh, as God does. And, and so, so Adam and Eve, um, the first two, uh, they didn't take personal responsibility. Um, and then the second story is the story of Cain and Abel. And, and Cain, is, his, his situation isn't so much that he doesn't take personal responsibility. His is a moral responsibility. Do, am I my brother's keeper? Um, and so, so there you have the two challenges um, about, about responsibility. Personal responsibility, mm-hmm. my, myself, and moral responsibility, my responsibility for others. And the failure to do that is a failure of leadership. A leader, a leadership is when someone stops being passive and becomes being active. And, and so the biblical narrative gives us a picture of, like, which voice are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the voice of desire, like Adam and Eve? Mm-hmm. Are we going to listen to the voice of anger? Because God said to Cain, you know, hey, sin's waiting at the door. You can mm-hmm. master it. Um, or are we going to listen to the voice of God? And, and it seems to me that, 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 that the fundamental under, biblical understanding is, is that leadership is taking responsibility. It's, it's becoming mm-hmm. active. And I think Jesus measures that. He said, you know, um, many will say, Lord, Lord, but he says, I never knew you. And they say, well, yeah, but inasmuch as you fail to do it to the least of these, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's failing to take responsibility. Um, and so, so that's the core understanding of the trip is this, is this understanding of, of the biblical understanding of what really, what, what the biblical fundamental foundational teaching of leadership is. Then the question is, what kind of leader are we going to be? Mm-hmm. And, I, um, uh, and I think the biblical answer is there as well. Um, 
I remember when I came to Holland Heights, one of the guys I was listening to a lot and reading a lot of, and he's still very good to listen to and to read a lot about, uh, is John Maxwell. And, and John Maxwell says that all leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. And he talks about a difference between leadership and power. Right. Uh, and for our purposes, power is, uh, power is something that if, uh, is something that I exert. Uh, leadership is something that I earn. Um, and so the, the, so when Maxwell says all leadership is influence or rather all, uh, or I would like to say, I would like to think of a biblical leadership is influence. It, mm-hmm. It's the God who stands at the door and knocks anyone who hears his voice and opens, he'll come in, but we have to be willing to open the yeah. door to come in. Um, and in that, um, God has done everything he can, I think, um, and the Bible, the biblical narrative shows it to earn that trust for him to open that door. So in Hebrew, there's a Hebrew word for trust. Pardon me. There are several Hebrew words for trust, but one of the Hebrew words for trust that's used exclusively for the trust that we give God is betach. And betach, if I betach my wife or my children or my job or my portfolio, biblically, that's the definition of idolatry. The only, this trust is used exclusively of and for God. Now, that's a key thing in terms of uh, there is no better biblical picture that God gives us in terms of the relationship of trust between one and another than the picture of shepherd and flock. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've saw that when I was in the, in, in the Middle East over these number of years and spent time with shepherds and flocks. Um, and it's amazing. So on the, on the ancient paths to modern leadership, um, you know, we, on that trip, we, we fly over, of course. And then, um, our first thing is, is we spend a day with the flocks. And so I have relationships in the Petra, greater Petra area. And, um, we divide our group into groups of two or three people and they go out with their own flock. And so we have 15 or 20 flocks that we have relationships with folks with. And they spend, they just simply at, at, at 730 in the morning, we assign them to go with this shepherd. We don't even tell them the shepherd's name. They just go and the, the, and they go with the shepherd, and then at the end of the day, we all the shepherds kind of get together, and and we pick up our people, and then uh, uh, we we the Bedouin have made a supper for us in the, in the wilderness, and we sit around the campfire after having a delicious Bedouin supper, and uh, and I ask the question, what did you see? I don't even want them to process yet. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you see? And probably the most consistent, overwhelming answer we get is people are amazed on how the sheep, how the flock, sheep and goats, respond to the shepherd's voice. Mm-hmm. Just a question about, so the, they go out with a shepherd, mm-hmm. and these shepherds speak Arabic, I assume. Yeah. And most of the folks on the trip speak English. Right. <laughs> so they don't have a, tra- a translator or anything, no. an interpreter with them. They just follow around and yeah. see what's going on. Well, it's, it's a great experience. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's amazing on so many levels. What, what is so cool, Barry, about this, and I don't know how long this podcast can go on for, because you're going to have to pull the, help me land the plane on this one. <laughs> we, we can edit. Okay. <laughs> um, what is so cool is, is the, the, those shepherds have taken in my people because of me, because of those shepherds' relationship with me. And they're going to treat my people with dignity and respect, and they're going to be friendly with them. They already have feelings and an attitude towards my people before they ever meet my people because they have met me. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people the shepherd, the first thing, a she- uh, whenever you have a flock, you have two shepherds. You have an older shepherd and younger shepherd. And the purpose of the two shepherds is not that the older shepherd needs the younger one to help with the flock. 
The purpose of the younger shepherd is to learn the older shepherd's voice. Mm -hmm. Because the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. So as an under shepherd, the first thing I have to do is learn my shepherd's voice. So that when I, when it's my turn to lead that flock, then, then they're hearing the same voice. Okay. So, so I tell, I tell people that, that, you know, when we're processing this, I said, just understand that the voice that those sheep are following is not the voice of the shepherd who's in the field. They're following the voice of the shepherd who's in the tent. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it kind of, it flows from one to another and it gains Mm -hmm. momentum as the voice continues. Um, and, and, and so just as those people are well, welcomed because they come with me, um, that under shepherd is welcome because he speaks with the shepherd's, he speaks with the mm-hmm. shepherd's voice. Now here, here's where, here's where I think it ties in. If you use the distinctions, I don't like to between sacred and secular, but mm-hmm. if you want to use the secular term, here's where it crosses over to the secular. In the ancient Near East, as far as I can tell, I haven't done all the reading, but I, I'm, and I'm open to anybody out there to correct me on this one. Mm-hmm. But I have learned in my, in my readings that the only, the only ancient Near East culture to anoint kings is Israel. There's no other culture that anointed kings. What, and what's the point of anointing? Well, anointing is what was done with priests. And anointing, to anoint, the fundamental thing that anointing does, or what it speaks to, is that this person is a servant. Servant of God. Okay? Um, kings, kings in the, uh, pharaohs weren't anointed. Um, I, I don't think in Babylon, Persia, or Greek, kings were anointed. So when, it, when, you, when you say anointing, you're talking about anointing with oil. Well, with oil, exactly. Yeah. Uh, they, they, but in Israel, they were anointed. So yeah. why? Well, because Israel has, the first king of Israel was not Saul. The first king of Israel is the same king of Israel today, mm-hmm. and that's God. And the difference between Saul and David is that David understood that he was he was um, the the under shepherd, mm-hmm. and he and and I think that's one of the reasons why you have so many psalms written by David. That's why so many stories about David are in the Bible, because David learned the shepherd's mm-hmm. voice, and 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 that's so. When the text talks, all people are like sheep have gone astray. I, I, I think, I think some of the things that are happening in Washington, I think some of the disillusionment with our leaders, um, when, when a leader has a moral failure, um, people are devastated. It's a hard time for, for a while. It's, it's hard for them to believe. And once they do believe it, they get so angry and they start to reject a whole system. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, it, it is roots into people have this innate desire to trust. When you have a baby, a baby, when a baby is born, it wants to trust. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, um, and I've had it with, on a, with a flock. I don't think there's another animal that more represents that than a, than a lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a group one time, we stopped, and um, there was a, a flock of about 200 animals, um, and it was near the shepherd's home. So his kids were out there. And we stopped the bus, and I asked the shepherd if we, through my interpreter, if we could get, if we could hold a lamb. So the little kids run out there, and they grab these lambs. They're chasing them. They grab them by the hind legs, and they're holding these lambs. They're not very careful at all. And and so they give me a lamb, and, and that lamb kind of wrestles in my arms for a moment. And then, and, but I'm just petting it. I'm soothing it. I'm soothing it. I'm soothing it. And the whole time, while the other people got different lambs, I'm just holding the same lamb. And other people were sharing their lands back and forth, taking pictures. It was a beautiful experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, I said, it's time to go. So I put my lamb down. And everybody's on the bus. I'm usually the last one to go on the bus when we leave a site. And I'm walking to the bus, and that lamb's following me. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 I'm on the bus, and so I I, I talk with my people. I said, okay, now how'd you like that? And all oh, they were all excited. Then mm-hmm. I said, well, now let me ask you: Were those good shepherds or bad shepherds? And because they're they're usually all Christians and nice people, they always you know the glass is half full. People they say, well, no, they were good shepherds. They really? I said, really? So really? Um, I said, did you see that little lamb follow me? Yeah, wasn't that cute? I said, yeah. If they were such good shepherds, how come after 15 or 20 minutes of me holding it, that lamb would follow me and not them? People want to trust. Hmm. And, I, and I really think that from a productivity standpoint, uh, I think from an economic standpoint, I think um, if, 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 if we take responsibility more for just the bottom line, but we take responsibility uh, as leaders um, and understand that as Christian leaders, um, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the more I learn his voice, the more I can treat with dignity the people who are around me. So, uh, um, and, I, and I think, you know, not to be crass, but I, I, think, I, think the, I think they'll be more fulfilled, more. But if we can help people understand that they don't have a job, but everyone has a calling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that whole, and I think the shepherd paradigm, David is the only king to unify God's people. After David, Solomon was king, but God, because of Solomon's disobedience, and in, in honor of, so, of David, God says, you're, the kingdom's going to be taken away from you, mm-hmm. but, but, but you won't see it. Okay. And I really believe that the son of David, that 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 um, the Bible speaks of as coming and who has come in Jesus Christ. Um, that that characteristic. What's the content of the Son of David? Is it a biological thing? Well, it could be. I, I'm not going to get into that. I think the characteristic of David. What makes David beloved is not that he sang songs, not that he defeated the Philistines, what what not that he was a king of Israel. Um, I I think what what. What the hallmark, the distinctive of David is that he unifies God's people. Mm-hmm. And I think the son of David is going to unify God's people. And I'm telling you, um, that unification is a unification of faith. And you cannot have faith if there is no trust. And I think that um, in kind of our theological system where we have relegated faith to be an intellectual thing, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who feel they have faith in God, but they don't trust God. And trust is such a huge thing. So in the business world, if, if I may not like the answer, I may not like it that we all have to work less hours mm-hmm. uh, so that people don't get laid off, for example, or something. I, I know a company here in West Michigan who took that approach, mm-hmm. and the, but the employees accepted it and understood that the motives and the heart of their leaders mm-hmm. and that it wasn't just the bottom line. Man, such good thoughts, ideas, and conversation from George that we are just so thankful that we are able to share it with you. Throughout this whole episode, I'm just taking notes like crazy uh, just to learn for myself to be a better leader. This conversation has so much content that we wanted to split it up between two different episodes. So this week is part one, and in two weeks we'll bring you part two. So take the next two weeks to reflect on what it means to take responsibility in your leadership. This is the Connect Up Podcast.